Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to The Broad Experience. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This week, it's an all-man show. I realized it had been quite a while since I'd had any men on the podcast at all, so I decided to invite a small panel of guys I knew were interested in this stuff to discuss the relationship between men and women in the workplace, men as caregivers, women bashing on the internet, and more. The fact that the only way you can spout off this misogynistic gunk is online anonymously because you're actually afraid to say what you really think in front of other people, men and women. I think this is a sign of progress. Coming up on The Broad Experience. To set the scene, Catalyst, the nonprofit that advocates for women in business, hosted the recording in New York. I was at their office with two of my guests, Mike and Michael, and our third man was talking to us from a radio studio in Virginia. Another M name, just to confuse you. I'm Martin Davidson. I'm a professor of leadership and organizational behavior at the Darden School of Business here at the University of Virginia. My name is Mike Otterman. I lead the Mark Initiative at Catalyst. Mark stands for Men Advocating Real Change, and it's an online community designed to foster uh, role modeling and leadership among men on gender equality. Michael Kimmel, I'm a distinguished professor of sociology and gender studies at the State University of New York, Stony Brook. So one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation was because I'd read a blog post that Martin Davidson, he's the one in Virginia, had written about how he'd come up to Catalyst's office this spring to talk about the success of women in organizations, but ultimately he felt stymied. He says for men to truly include women in all sorts of ways, they need to take a really good look at their own ingrained attitudes and behaviors. And he didn't actually feel he could do that and talk honestly about this stuff in a room full of men and women. How was I going to be able to say some of the politically incorrect things that I might be thinking, that I know I'm thinking in that environment? Such as? Oh, now you're going to put me on the spot? Uh, I'm, going to say th- I'm going to think things, for example, like um, there are times when I think that women get unfair advantages because they're women okay, in the workplace. And it's really interesting because there's an intellectual part of me that totally understands the research and understands the reality in which there's bias and and discrimination, etc. And there's another part of me, which is the day-to-day regular guy experience, person to person, who sort of feels like, hey, what's going on here? Or this doesn't seem fair. And he's not the only one craving male-only groups where men can discuss this stuff amongst themselves. Recently, he was facilitating a group of men and women talking about these issues, and one man said there's no way he would speak his mind about workplace equality with women in the room. He was very uh, thoughtful, he said. And it's not because the women are doing anything to me. That's not the issue. What's happening is I don't want to be seen as the kind of person who would say some of the things that I'm thinking or who would risk being misunderstood. So rather than take that risk, 
I'm just not going to say it. And that's the problem. And that, Martin says, just contributes to an atmosphere where a lot of men tread carefully around women at work and sometimes feel resentful about that, but also risk putting their foot in it because they don't really know what the women are experiencing. All three of my guests say fear holds a lot of men back from asking questions they genuinely want the answers to. But also, on the whole, men tend to see equality at work as a women's issue. Martin says he was at a Harvard conference on gender and work recently, and hardly any men turned up. I see this kind of thing too. I go to a fair amount of events about women where there are very few, if any, men. Part of me can see how much women enjoy getting together as a group at these things. But at the same time, then, I hear the same women talking about the fact that, well, we can't really change anything unless we're involving men in this discussion. But I feel like a lot of men see the word women along with conference or summit, and they think, well, forget it. I'm not going to that. They see the word gender, and they say that. They say the word gender, and they, and they think, oh, this is about women. But well, I hate the word gender, actually. Why? I can't quite translate to myself why I hate it so much. I think it feels really sort of politicized to me. We've seen that most men feel that gender is something only women have. You know, that's how that's how this term has been gendered, to use the same word. Um, and and we find it distracting, and certainly in the work we do on Mark, you know, we, men and women share human qualities, and, and we both have different sets of, of gender. And, yeah, we found that's a trigger word that, that take men out of a conversation. And quite possibly some women as well. Another thing that I see a lot, which I find I just find really depressing and disappointing, is when you read articles, you know, including some of your blog posts on this, but all the articles you read that have to do with women and work or women and anything, you get so many angry comments by guys. And it's so depressing because often they are really, truly are misogynistic in a, in a way that I thought was sort of gone. Mm. There seems to be so much resentment in these comments Women have all the advantages. Men are the ones with the problems. Men are the ones who are discriminated against, etc. You know, once upon a time, everywhere you went, it was a locker room. You know, the boardroom, the operating theater, the law, the law board, the business school, you know, everywhere, the locker room itself, everywhere was a locker room. And now men are saying, oh, where can we go where we can just relax and say stupid stuff and not be policed all the time? And you know what? There aren't very many places except the internet. So this is the last outpost. I see it as a tremendous victory. The fact that the only way, you know, that you can spout off this misogynistic gunk is online anonymously because you're actually afraid to say what you really think in front of other people, men and women. I, I think this is a sign of progress. Yes, of course, these guys are, you know, they, they're constantly yelling and screaming, but it's really a kind of impotent rage, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't really, de you know, affect you in your workplace life. It doesn't affect you in your corporate life. It doesn't affect you in your, in your day. You know, it's unpleasant and you just tune it out. I feel like this is, this is an indicator. This is the, they think they want this to be the last locker room, the place where they still rule. And the fact is, they don't. I kind of have a different take on it, Michael, which is I worry. I worry that um, the stuff that we see online is the tip of the iceberg. And the tip of the iceberg in kind of a more subtle way, because we know now that we have all of this um, research on unconscious bias, right, and on the subtle bias and so on and so forth that happens. And in some ways, when I see these, these uh, nuts on the Internet, they're my heroes. Well, because they're the ones who are saying the things that are embedded in many of us sort of upstanding, well-meaning folk. 
and in this case, well-meaning men, right? And it's the things that we're not saying, the things that we won't say in public, as you say. Um, and the goal that I want is I want that stuff transformed. I don't just want it suppressed. You know, it's to me... And and I and I and I know I think the research you know uh, goes both ways on this right that you could argue that hey just suppress it long enough and we can change the conditions in which we're operating and I see validity in that but I want something more than that I I want people to truly change shift and transform the crazy sexist stuff into ways that that are really much more productive and constructive and collaborative. And this goes actually to, I hope you're not too depressed, because I think in some ways the really crazy stuff is just the tail of the curve. I think there's a lot of stuff in the middle. I think there's a lot of stuff in the, in the silent majority, which is probably not quite as bad, but bad enough that we need to be working on it. Mike Otterman went on to say that on the Mark website, they let any horrible comments about women sit there and become part of the conversation. But Michael Kimmel thinks it's wrong to put up with hateful or derogatory speech about women. He thinks we should shut it down. During the 2008 uh, presidential election, when uh, primaries, when Hillary and Clinton and, and Barack Obama were running against each other, someone came to a Hillary Clinton rally and held up a sign that said, iron my shirt. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I ask my students, by the way, maybe 5% of my students know about this, right? Most people don't remember this event because it passed completely under the radar. No, but imagine if someone had come to an Obama rally and held up a sign that said, go shine my shoes. Don't you think every single candidate, even the Republicans, would have said, wait a minute, stop, that's really wrong. It would have been front page in every single newspaper, the lead story in every single newscast. Because racism is that out of bounds. I want sexism to be that out of bounds. I don't want us to make excuses for it. I think that it's wrong, and we shouldn't say sexist things just as we don't say racist or anti-Semitic things. And the fact that we still give permission to sexism and homophobia indicates that we still have a long way to go. And yet, sexism can very much be in the eye of the beholder, can't it? Because, I mean, for instance, what I'm curious about what you guys, uh, if you can let your guards down for a minute, about that Obama comment when he basically complimented, oh, who was it in California? Was it the Attorney General? Um, yeah. Do you remember this, Martin? Basically said the best looking, she's the best looking. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Kamala, right, that's yeah. right, yeah. Uh -huh. And so some people, you know, he was really called out on that. And, and I just wonder, for some people that is terrible sexism. For others, it's, oh, come on, get a life. You know, it really, really differs. And both are true. Why can't uh, both? I mean, this is exactly what Martin just said before. This isn't an either or. This is a moment where he let his guard down and said something that, we, that could be misinterpreted as being stupid and sexist, but it was also a compliment. And listen, you know, you, t you spend five minutes in a workplace in 2013, and guys will ask you, you know, well, is it okay to say nice blouse? Is it okay to hold the door open for a, whim a woman? And you think, what is this, 1964? You know, because we're still asking the same question. And here Martin is exactly right. We are still asking the same questions because we've not had the honest conversation about it yet. So he's completely right. I, I entirely agree. So we have to have that conversation. When is it okay to say that? And, it, you know, it's, okay, it's certainly okay to compliment somebody as long as you don't think, A, it entitles you to something later, and B, it's not said with a certain amount of contempt, and B, if you could hear, and, and C, if you could also hear, and so do you. <laughs> you look nice too. <laughs> 
Then I changed the subject and asked all three men about men's roles as caregivers and stay-at-home spouses. There have been some really interesting articles about this recently, which I'll post in the show notes on the website. I did a show on Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, recently, where six women debated the merits of the book. And by the end of the debate, we were talking about how ambivalent society still feels about men who take a step back from their careers and become the primary caregivers. Martin Davidson was recently working with a group of young men, and some of them had scaled back their schedules to spend more time with their children. But I, but I said something to the effect of, oh, so what happened is you guys have sort of chosen to step back, so you kind of wimped out. So we laughed, and we, but we had some good conversation about this because that is part of what the dynamic for men is around uh, childcare and around family which is how is it that they're negotiating, how is it that we are negotiating traditional roles and traditional role expectations? And what impact does that have on the man and the woman and the psychology of the man and the woman? Um, and there's something that, that it's, the way, the way I think about it is that what I would love to have seen in, in Cheryl's book, although I, I like Cheryl's book, so it, it was fine as it, as it was, but the conversation I would love to see is, so suppose we do shift roles and switch roles in terms of changing the balance of family and so on and so forth. What does that mean for men who are making those choices, the men who uh, choose to do it differently and to balance more and perhaps sacrifice earning power, and for the men who consciously choose not to do that with their women? What, you know, what does that mean and what do those choices mean? A lot of questions to which we still don't have definitive answers. You know, it goes back to the fear issue. There's a lot of reports where men feel just as important about spending time with their kids and being home than women. But when it comes to taking the benefits which are already offered in their company, they, they, don't, they don't take what's even there. Yeah. Um, and so that, that indicates to me there's still a lot of work to be done in the, in the cultural sense uh, of what our, what our norms are. What was heartening I saw recently, um, there's been a lot of pushback to what I'd call you know, uh, sexist ads that, that kind of denigrate men, especially men as fathers, um, this is something that was taken up at the recent Dad 2.0 conference a few months ago, where daddy bloggers met with marketers and, and gave them almost uh, marching orders in a way, saying what they, what they thought would be positive images, and, but certainly the negative images, which they don't want to see, which doesn't really sell products. You know? And I'm talking about the ads that show dad fumbling around with a diaper and not knowing, putting it on his head. You know, st- these are stupid things, which... Uh, may, might be a, a cheap joke, if that, but but actually don't wouldn't really end up uh, equating with sales. And so, changing the dynamics around marketing, uh, changing yeah. around things like film. You know, I, I, the fact that a movie like The Hangover, you know, one of the biggest comic twists is that a guy has to look after a baby. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's as funny as it was a few years ago. And I, I think certainly ten years from now, we'll be like, what? This was comedy? You know, it's it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I want to go back because I, I think this circles back to the very first comments that Martin was making that he made in his blog as well about the male-only spaces. So, you know, 20 years ago, I went, I, I did an article for the Harvard Business Review in which um, their position was, you know, this is before Family and Medical Leave Act. They, their position was that, um, you know, only 1% of corporations offer parental leave to men. And in those companies, only 1% of men take it. So there's no demand. Men don't want this. And so I said, I think there's another story. Let me go ask the men who, in these companies. So I did. And one of the things I heard consistently was when the men said, I asked men who had recently had children, babies, you know, did you take time off? They said, no. Why? 
Well, here's why. When I went to my colleagues and I said, my wife's going to have a baby, so I'm going to take parental leave, their colleagues said, male colleagues said, guess you're not committed to your career. Or their male supervisor would say, well, sure, you can do that. We'll put you on the daddy track. I mean, you'll never make partner. So what men heard in these male-only groups was, don't do it. It'll be a career killer to you. And, of course, they, they listened, so they didn't. They did inform, what I came to call informal parental leave. They took all their sick leave and all their vacation time. They, you know, they, they glommed it together so that they could take six weeks off when their kid was born. So what holds women back, what Catalyst has consistently found, is the thing that holds women back is the behavior and attitudes of men. The thing that holds men back very often is the behavior and attitudes of other men. So we have to have that conversation, but we also have to have it in a way that challenges these old stereotypes and not simply reinforces them. That's the broad experience for this time. Thanks to all three of my guests, Martin Davidson, Mike Otterman, and Michael Kimmel. You can weigh in on this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page. The Broad Experience is supported by the Mule Radio Syndicate, which includes lots of other good podcasts, including Everything Sounds, The New Disruptors, and Decode DC. This is the 20th episode of The Broad Experience, which I started just over a year ago. If you like what you hear, please consider kicking in a few bucks. You can do that at the support page at thebroadexperience.com. Next time on the show... We definitely catch ourselves using language in a certain way where we'll read through an email that we're about to send, where we're asking for more money or we're saying what our rate is. And we'll suddenly go through and we're like, let's take out three of those pleases and just make it a statement and not a question. The sex and relationship writers M and Lowe on being a joint female brand next time on The Broad Experience. Until then, I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.